Hello and welcome to the Northern Overexposure Podcast, where we overanalyzed a 1990s CBS television show, Northern Exposure. My name is Charles. And my name is Lee. And today we have sort of a special episode. We are not necessarily talking about the show Northern Exposure. We are talking about um, something Northern Exposure adjacent, actually. Yeah, it's tangentially related to Northern Exposure, but really just about one of the cast members. Do you want to tell them what we're talking about? Yeah. We are going to be talking about the 1992 SNL episode that Rob Morrow hosted. Yeah. So it's, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's season 17, episode 10. The air date would have been January 11th, 1992, which um, if we're looking at the history books, the chronology of uh, the Northern Exposure series, this episode of SNL would have aired in the middle of season three, like during the season three run of Yeah, I was just looking into that, which means that this show would have been famous enough or at least popular enough in season two to have warranted Rob to have been hosting this, which I thought was really interesting because season two is such a short season. It's only seven episodes and season one was only eight episodes. So within 15 episodes, they're already making their mark. Yeah, and from what we've been talking about and reading, it sounds like the show had pretty pretty good ratings in the first two seasons. And now that it's picked up in its third season, which we're going to be talking about soon on, on this podcast, they have the full sort of season order. Is that what you would call it? Like the full 23 episode, you know, like the whole, it's, it's not a short, it's not a short version, like <laughs> season one or two. Yeah. Like a half block. Yeah. I guess they would have the, the committed, I guess is what they would call it. Like they're committing to the series now, be given it a full standard 23 episodes. What I think is really interesting is that they book guests heavily in advance in SNL, sometimes almost like six months in advance. Mm -hmm. I I think it was Idris Elba who got leaked that he was hosting in March. And I think that one got leaked, I want to say in October. Yeah. Wow. So they booked these really far in advance. So for Rob Murrow to be booked in January... I mean, I guess would be that. <laughs> yeah, let me do some math right here. Uh, they could have got him really early on, but uh, sometimes they get hosts really late. But yeah, is he hosting the tw- 1992 opener for SNL or was just someone else that had hosted before him in 1992? So this is uh, episode 10 of that season. So I'm, I'm imagining it's not the first episode of, you know, of 1992. Oh, well, I guess this would have been what, the second week of, of January in 92? Mm-hmm. This is the 11th, so... Oh, he actually is. I just looked it up. Okay. So Steve Martin hosted a Christmas episode in December 14th. Oh. That's not a surprise. Steve Martin's hosted, I want to say, 18 times. <laughs> him and Alec Baldwin have hosted a lot. So Rob Morrow actually picked up right after him. So, yeah, he was the opener for 1992. We should say um, we don't have the entire episode available to us. We're simply going to NBC.com you know, the clips that they have um, from this episode. So I think in total, it's about seven different clips, including uh, Rob Morrow's monologue, which is featured on the site. It's free to watch. Yeah, I think we're only missing two sketches. I looked it up. One is uh, it's a It's Pat sketch by Julia Sweeney. It's a recurring character. And then the other one was a one-off sketch. I think it was called Ledin's Body. Hmm. So... We're just missing those two sketches, but everything else we have. Do you have, I mean, this is a little off topic, but do you have any idea why some sketches are available, some are not? Do you think it has to do with uh, maybe some copyrights, some music rights? Yeah, 
largely okay. it's because of that um, they use some sort of a copyrighted material. That's why a lot of monologues aren't shown too, because a lot really? of them are parodying something. Hmm. Yeah, like right off the top of my head, like last night I was trying to watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt's SNL monologue from when he hosted in. And he I, does I like say, that musical dance number. Is it Singing in the Rain or something? Or what yeah, does he do? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the one he actually <laughs> does. Have you seen that episode? Yeah, I remember that being a really, really fun monologue. Oh, yeah, that one's a great one. But no, if you watch it on Hulu, uh, they skip straight to the first catch. Yeah. That's um, ridiculous. You're paying um, a subscription to watch that, right? That's what I thought was really <laughs> strange, too. I pay money to watch it. So in, oh, hey, in essence, I should be able to have it. Yeah, what's up? I did find out uh, that uh, we. I know we've speculated a lot about why season two um, DVD of Northern Exposure has like Muzak added. I, mm-hmm. I guess we still don't know the full story, but I, I have read that the original cost of like the the first season of Northern Exposure, the DVD was $60. So that, that's kind of like very high for, you know, one season of a, of a TV show. So mm-hmm. they kind of lowered the price, I think, um, or they were able to lower the price for the following seasons by, I think it was the to their their excuse was that the the music rights were just too expensive to sell a DVD for $20 I guess gosh it was $60 that's what it says um i think it was the, a wikipedia article or something that, that i read and that was like in back in the yeah <laughs> in today's money that's $112 uh, for 8 episodes i will say they have some decent special features on that disc but um yeah that's that's a lot of money ah jeez well, do you want to just get into this right now? Yeah. Um, like we said, we don't have the full episode available to us. We have we have uh, a number of sketches, but um, the musical guest on this episode is Nirvana, which seems like it would be really awesome to see, but, but I couldn't find any clips. <laughs> yeah, no doubt that would be the hardest thing to find is uh, <laughs> clips of them did. Nirvana being there. Uh, so in season 17, uh, Jim Downey was the head writer. Okay. What is he? Uh, can you give us a little history? Little yeah. Background? Jim Downey's, I think he's written for over 30 seasons of SNL. In fact, I think he got hired the year after SNL started in 1976. Wow. And he has been with them on and off all the way up to 2013, I want to say. He is a super senior wow. writer there. Yeah, a lot of people still recognize him. If you ask like today's cast members, um, they'll even say like, oh, those are like the Downey days, like when he was still here. But he was head writer and then sometimes not head writer. I'm not too sure why he was taken off and on at times. I don't, I don't think it was like a demotion or anything. I think just times are changing or he had different responsibilities. Um, Al Franken was still writing there too. Hmm. Al Franken, who is a senator for, or, <laughs> I'm sorry, was a senator uh, for the great state of, starts with an M, Minnesota. He was a senator for Minnesota. So before he served as a civil servant for all of us, he was actually a comedian. He wrote for The Simpsons, wrote for SNL, and he was still there whenever Rob Morrow hosted. All right. Oh, Phil Harmon's still here too. Yeah, I got a lot of, you know, Dana Carvey, Adam Sandler, David Spade. Kevin Nealon, lots of great classic comedians. Some of the female comedians I'm not super um, super familiar with. Who do we have here in this? Uh, we have Beth Cahill. Mm, we have, mm-hmm. I know her face, and I feel really bad, but I cannot pronounce her name. Siobhan? Oh, Choban or whatever? 
Is that yeah. how you would pronounce it? I guess. Shaban, Shaban Fallon? Yeah, I can't yeah. pronounce it either, apparently. We didn't have like the Don Pardo intro when we were watching this either. Oh, you know what they say yeah. the name of the SNL people. So otherwise, we, we can't go off of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Should we start with the monologue? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like where we would start. Rob Morrow out on stage with this immaculate turtleneck sweater, you know, looks very 90s. Um, and he's incredibly <laughs> charming. You know, we're looking at Joel Fleischman, you know, in the flesh. Yeah. He's incredibly, I don't know if it's the lighting, but he has incredibly sharp cheekbones. Yeah. He's, you know, classically handsome man. A little, maybe a bit nebbish, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's part of the charm. Yeah. I really like the monologue. Uh, very short, though. I think it was only two and a half minutes. Yeah, was, I guess, let me ask you that. Is there, I'm, I'm assuming there's probably a time limit for how long your monologue can be, but are they not all the same length, I guess? They're, oh, no, they can definitely vary. Well, in today's times, the monologue is a lot longer. My theory is that producers have gotten wiser and they know that SNL is a vehicle for them to promote things. Mm, so they mm-hmm. spend more time on the monologue because it's solely just the host and the more attention on just the host there is, the more promotional. Yeah, like promotion or whatever they're trying to sell can be more effective. I think that Millennia had also, uh, John Millennia, who was a writer for SNL, he had also talked about that too. He said that in the 80s and 90s, the monologue was incredibly short and they put very little effort into it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and like you're saying, this one seems pretty short, not a lot of effort, but it's funny. It's fun. Uh, what do you think of his monologue? I I loved it. Um, I like that. You know, he's self-deprecating. He played like a straight man to it. Yeah. Um, pretty creative one too. Yeah. His his whole shtick is that he's letting the audience in on a little secret. This this isn't his um, first time on SNL. He's returning on SNL, and he they play some footage, some older footage of a sketch, an SNL sketch, in which he is, in fact, um, that's really him, right? He's, he's in the background yeah, yeah. as like an extra. He's a juror in this um, courtroom sketch, and he's like, his face is right in between uh, the two the two leads of the scene right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's actually really crazy because I don't think anyone else that was an extra on SNL went on to become incredibly famous. Uh, the only ones I can think of is uh, Aubrey Plaza. She was an extra on SNL? She was an extra, but she was already interning at NBC, so that was kind of gotcha. cheating. Yeah. Cindy Lucas was a extra. Cindy Lucas played Small Allison in the original Broadway run of Fun Home. Mm. And yeah, she was wonderful in that sketch. Uh, a lot of the writers are extras as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for Rob Morrow to have been an extra and you know, actually <laughs> went on to achieve fame is actually kind of really interesting. It's pretty cool. Okay. So I don't really know what order, in what order these um, sketches appeared in the episode. But, um, I can guess that one of them was the last sketch. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's try to save that one for last. So if I bring yeah. it up, tell, mm-hmm. me, tell me to move it. Uh, I'm just going to go in the order of the way the clips are presented on the website. Um, okay. So Showtime at the Apollo with Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah. I like that sketch. Tell that us seems about like it. something they would have written today. Yeah, you think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it deals with the uh, topical race. Explain uh, it. Yeah. What is this? What is this sketch? Oh, yeah. So the Apollo is an infamously difficult theater for uh, comedians to perform at. And it's infamous because it's 
particularly hard for people that are not African-American to perform there. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's like a black crowd and, and it's, uh, you know, white comedians are, are bombing the whole sort of like Chappelle show, like white comedy versus black comedy. Yeah, and they would always they'd always depict like white comedians, and they always do this on like other shows too. But they just very square, they, very like corny. yeah. They speak from like the back of their throat, like this, kind of like uh, <laughs> almost sounding like Mitt Romney. And I really like the sketch. Um, yeah, I think so. It's Rob Morrow's this failing comedian at the Apollo. He tries to tell a joke. Uh, which like the lead in the setup is so I'm cleaning my pool and everyone like freaks out because it's like what pool and when he takes uh, advice from Chris Rock Chris Rock's the sketches um, Chris Rock has these tapes that are supposed to teach you how to survive the Apollo and uh, yeah he just starts making a uh, white guy got little butt jokes and that starts working uh, I, I don't know it, it's funny it's it's uh I think it could have turned into an ugly direction very quickly. Right. But I'm it's glad pretty aware. It's pretty good. Toward there. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely up there. Really like it. Def- I guarantee you that Gar- Chris Rock himself wrote that sketch. Mm-hmm. The next sketch, Movie Talk. Yeah. Movie Talk in Heaven. Uh, Rob Morrow is St. Peter and he's at the pearly gates of heaven. Uh, on his side is Kevin Nealon and Phil Hartman. They're like archangels. Dana Carvey has just um, arrived, and before he can enter heaven, you know they're they're um, evaluating his life with questions like, "Do you think you led a good life?" Um, and what did you think of Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> I love the premise. It's a great premise, and um, sort of the master stroke of, of the of the sketch is how. People talk about movies. This is like a very good example, sort of like a situational comedy of like how people, when they're talking about movies and you're not, if you're not like um, a film critic, sometimes it's hard to express how a movie can make you feel in words. And a lot of what happens in the sketch is they're, they're just like, yep. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Uh, And you know, they're kind of like, they're kind of quiet about it, but they're all in uh, agreement about like Thelma and Louise. Like they all, they all agree that they really like Thelma and Louise, but they can't really say why (laughs) they don't really talk about it. That's actually really interesting. I, I did not pick up on that actually. That was the aspect of the comedy I didn't pick up on. Yeah. It's a subtle thing that they've, that they really nailed. (laughs) Uh, The thing I picked up on, on that sketch was that, I guess it was heavy in 1991, just as it, as it is today. But your opinions on entertainment or like uh, mm, mm-hmm. movies and television shows are indicative of the type of person that you are. Whether <laughs> yeah. or not that's true, it's like, oh, you like this movie? You're a terrible person. Yeah, you can't come into heaven. you can't come into heaven. <laughs> what movie were they trashing? I'm trying to remember. Oh, they were making fun of Barbara Streisand for some reason. Yeah, Phil Hartman was. <laughs> I think there was a particular movie. It was like Prince of Tides or what's it called? I don't I don't know what the name of the movie is. Overall, good sketch. Kind of one note though, but it was still a really good one. So moving on to teenage name calling. Yeah, that is um um eh, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a problematic sketch, but I can kind of <laughs> see I can kind of see the core of it being really fun, but it, it kind of gets out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh obviously they drop a uh slur that would totally not be used in today's time. I'm surprised you could even say that in 1990s times like on broadcast television, but it was yeah. SNL. I don't it know is how a little risque. I don't know how we're going to 
how we're going to describe what, what let's just set up the the scene so it's like oh, a, okay. it's like in a pizza restaurant set and uh he's it, got all like the everyone like everyone's in this scene they're all like coming into this restaurant and every line that someone uh, delivers is an insult like they they kind of like tag on an insult uh and it gets pretty raunchy like it kind of starts off with, hey, how's it going today, moron? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, idiot head stuff. You know, like just really simple stuff, but then it it, it gets pretty uh, pretty raunchy. Yeah, is it just me or is this sketch specifically written for Rob Morrow? Because it looks like he can play that type of person really well. Kind of, like kind very, of jerk, you're saying? Yeah, very swarmy, jerk, smart aleck. Uh, yeah, I think I, there are definitely characteristics of uh, Joel Fleischman, right? Because we've talked about that. He's he's kind yeah. of a jerk. Yeah, I, I bet like the writers for that week looked at Rob Morrow to like, yeah, thought about Joel Fleischman. They're like, oh man, you know what? I, I bet he could play a jerk really, really well. We're just going to write a sketch in which they're all jerks. Yeah. Um, and and it's, you know, the the concept is kind of funny because Kevin Nealon is sort of like the proprietor of the restaurant and he's he comes to serve them their pizza and he he's even like throwing out the name the name calling like to to each of the kids there and when they all leave the restaurant he says uh they're all like you know they're all making fun of each other but i guess the the joke is that the words are very mean but the context is very cheerful uh for instance when they all leave kevin Nealon calls after them hope you all get killed tonight you sons of And it's kind of, I don't know, the ending of the sketch is kind of weird too. Like the camera like dollies in to, um, to someone who's just like sitting in the corner booth. It's Phil yeah. Hartman. Like, I don't think that sketch really killed from what I can tell on the audience reaction. Oh yeah. It's not well received. Yeah. I think that's one of those sketches that sound hilarious in the writer's room or whenever they're doing a table read of it. But when it came to dress and rehearsal, it didn't kill as hard as they thought it would. Yeah. Like I, what I'm trying to say is like I I can kind of see like the core of the idea, but it's just kind of oh it doesn't really play out. I, I totally agree with that. I think I think that's a right statement, Charles. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. And they that happens sometimes on a lot of sketches where like the writers think it'll kill, uh, and then it gets to dress rehearsal and it just absolutely dies on the floor, and <laughs> your ego just takes a hit. Uh, but if, for this case, it actually went to rehearsal like it went past rehearsal mm-hmm. yeah, uh, to actually air but overall i thought it was an okay sketch um definitely forgettable though like you're not gonna remember that sketch 20 years from now i'm like oh dude you remember that memorable sketch when rob morrow hosted and they just <laughs> called each other names like no yeah pretty pretty well note uh what is the next sketch we should talk about dave is always five subjects behind yeah that was incredibly <laughs> unwieldy unwieldy what does that mean like convoluted it was filled with many parts like i couldn't i couldn't buy the premise within the first minute oh wow i really yeah. liked that one actually really yeah i again though i i think kind of i like the um sort of the qualifier you just brought up like is this a sketch that will be remembered down the mm-hmm. year down the line in, in the following years i don't think this one's very going to be remembered very strongly and, and i don't think it really has a strong ending either but the premise is funny the idea is mike myers and beth cahill and rob morrow are all sitting at a at a table at a restaurant and mike myers and beth cahill are really hitting it off and rob morrow is like trying to um, be part of the conversation in a meaningful way but he's always five subjects behind so <laughs> when they're talking about something 
uh, Rob Morrow will interject, but his comment has to deal with the subject that was like, you know, three minutes ago. So you could see these two um, sort of two storylines happening. One of them is just sort of like an echo of the other. And it's sort of, you know, he's played playing it very awkwardly and it's not going over well. Yeah, I it took me a while, I think two minutes into it to realize what was happening, like what mm. the premise was. And I like it in it almost works, but I think that that one probably needed a rewrite. Mm. That seems like it was I see, a... I can agree. I see what you're saying. I can agree. Yeah, it's not... Like, I I clicked on the clip online, and the title tells you what it is. But if you're kind of just walking into it, you're like, what, what am I watching? Yeah, I didn't have the title when I was watching mm-hmm. it. This dialogue, I didn't pay attention. And yeah, I, I just think, like, the execution wasn't done very well. Could have been a little tighter to, to really sell that. Definitely. And, and you know, the ending's kind of che- like cheesy. The way it ends is um, Rob Morrow goes into the bathroom because he's really bombing out there, so he like needs a breather. And the bathroom has a time machine in it. He goes into the time machine and comes back to the conversation like 10 minutes before, and now all of his jokes are perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think just the premise of that alone could have been the sketch. Uh, yeah. The idea of going back in a time machine and instead of going back in time to, let's say, uh, murder baby Hitler or <laughs> to get bet all your money on yeah. you know, the Saints winning the Super Bowl in this particular year or something like that, uh, you would just go back in time just to save your conversation from 10 minutes ago, which is an interesting enough premise as it, as yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's been done before. That it's That doesn't sound like a totally unique premise, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have made it tighter. Um, yeah, I was going to also say this, the idea of uh, someone being like five subjects behind feels like it's been done either before or since, like this same kind of scene, but I don't know why. Maybe, maybe it hasn't. Maybe that's just... It definitely has. Okay, yeah. Yeah, this isn't a new premise. It, well, I mean, if we're going to get really nitpicky. No premise in comedy is <laughs> <Right>. original. <laughs> they all hail from like caveman times of one caveman hitting his head. <laughs> Uh, against the ceiling of the cave. Uh-huh. Um, Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get into Delta, Delta, Delta. Yeah, sorority house. It's like these valley girls. Um, Rob Morrow is really only in this for 10 to 30 seconds. Do you um, do you have much to say about this scene? It's a recurring sketch. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a, from around this era of SNL. In fact, it might have only played in this season. Perhaps. But yeah, uh, I was able to read up on it. And whenever the host was male, he would usually have a very small bit part like Rob had in this episode where they would just come in for like 10 seconds. And then the girls kind of like fawn over him or, or talk. that's what happens in this episode. Yeah. Uh, it's an okay recurring character sketch. Like I, I see it working. It's fun because uh, all the all the girls get to do this crazy valley girl sort of uh, affectation to their speech. It's really pretty goofy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, easy target, making fun of sororities, particularly the... Is that a real sorority? Delta, Delta, Delta? Um, asking the wrong guy. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I should actually know this. I went to a university that was just filled with that. Yeah, it actually is a real university. Uh, or a, but most people real, know it as um, Tri-Delta. Sorority, gotcha. Yeah, it's a real sorority right there. I did look up uh, TKE. It's what's written on... Um, so it's written on Rob Morrow's uh, shirt or sweater when he comes mm-hmm. into the scene. Tau Kappa Epsilon is a fraternity. 
Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> and then we get to the last, what I presume to be the last sketch of the night, Three Cowboys. Yeah. Going to be a better cowboy. It's a musical number. Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, Rob Murrow. They're on top of these like sort of stuffed like fluffy horses. And they're doing a little song about sort of their, I don't know if it's their New Year's resolutions, but it's like this year I'm going to be better. Yeah, it's a very simple premise that is just, I I guess, kind of making fun of country songs to a bit as well. Yeah, and sort of like making fun of sort of like um, like hillbillies or hicks or something. Uh, Some of the one of the lines is, um, you know, this time if I get married this year, this time I'll show up, you know, stuff like that. There is um, Rob Morrow actually delivers sort of like a rape joke. Yeah, what, what I was think thinking about, about that one. That. I was like, oh, that probably might not pass yeah. the writer's room in today's time. And it might. I don't know. There's been some pretty uh-huh. uh, dark sketches, but always done with good flavor. The one off the top of mm. my head that I can think of that was very recent was uh, there was a sketch with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, mm-hmm. where they had a convention of the most evil people And all of them are cartoonishly evil. Like they would build a gun that would freeze people. So they would try to freeze the entire city. Uh, And then Dwayne Johnson shows up with a robot that molests children. Oh, wow. And that was the actual... And all the evil people kind of freak out. Like, whoa, that's actually like incredibly evil. It's like, yeah, that's the point, right? We're all trying to be evil. This is the most evil invention ever. (laughs) And yeah, and it's a very funny sketch. Uh, but it's also incredibly dark. It's about yeah. molesting children. So I think yeah. possibly that line could still work. I don't know. Well, well, right after that joke, Phil Hartman has like a bestiality joke that I guess was a, is supposed to add some levity. It's a little less serious. It, it's a little more, it adds some absurdity perhaps to the, to the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's one thing is like watching this sketch really reminded me of the, like the lumberjack song from Monty Python. <laughs> but it never really reaches that same level of absurdity. It doesn't really get anywhere that funny. I, I didn't think this was very no. Very good it, sketch. This is this is probably one of those sketches where some writer had thought of it and he had been pitching it for weeks, in my mm. opinion, for different hosts, um, and finally just someone, landed on Rob someone Morrow. stuck with it. Yeah, it never it never really got anywhere. There's three three verses and um, I don't even remember what happens in the third verse. Like I started writing down like my favorite jokes in each verse and Mm -hmm. um, the end of the sketch is cool. The camera kind of zooms out and for a split second, you can see the puppeteers um, that are operating the horses that they're riding on. (laughs) I didn't catch that. Yeah. It's like literally maybe a second or two before the clip ends online. Mm. Yeah. Overall, not my favorite sketch, but then again, I mean, in the annals of history, whenever you look at SNL, I think maybe like 60 to almost 75% of sketches are not very memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what happens when you have only a week, even l- actually it's less than a week, less than a week to write sketches. I think it's an incredibly difficult job. So I cut them a whole lot of slack. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier uh, before we hit record. Like, you know, Rob Morrow got to host SNL, Northern Exposure wasn't um wasn't like a bad show by any means like it it was pretty apparently it was doing pretty well in ratings uh critically you know if the show had gone on to much more success could you see any who who what other cast member would you see hosting SNL um 
probably the actor that plays uh, Ed. Oh, Ed, really? Yeah, I could see him hosting SNL. Wow. I was yeah. I was thinking um, definitely like uh, Janine Turner. She was sort of a... Um, oh, Like yeah, she was big in, in, in press, you know, for the show. Mm-hmm. And John Corbett as well, who, you know, after the end of the show, he's probably with Rob Morrow, kind of the most famous person today. He was in, you know, the big fat Greek wedding, uh, Sex in the City, you know. Yeah, like you're that. right. Oh, you know what I just realized? They didn't have a sketch parodying Northern Exposure. Is that a, is that common? Like if um, someone is hosting, they'll typically have a sketch that parodies whatever they're representing? Yeah, especially if it's a television show or if they're like most famous for mm-hmm. that television show. Like oh, they're yeah, not like a Game of Thrones actor. or something this year. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was kind of a little fun little bonus. I'd like to find more things like this whenever we're in between seasons or something like that. Because, you know, we're fascinated with the show, but also there is sort of a whole history surrounding it. Like, the, like for instance, the SNL appearance. Much more to get into on our off days. Yeah, definitely. These are just fun little projects. All right, Charles. Thanks for joining me on this journey. You know, I convinced you to watch every Northern exposure episode and now we're doing some extracurricular activities (laughs) yeah now we're just doing everything that is somewhat related to northern exposure somewhat touching yeah rob morrow breathes oxygen we're gonna do an episode (laughs) on oxygen stick around for that uh special patreon bonus episode (laughs) all right uh charles i'll see you soon okay i'll see you soon Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. And thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. If you'd like to write into the podcast, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>